재미와 지식의 오디오라이프 팝빵 The weekend is almost within reach, and so we carve out a little bit of time every week, right about now, to do a feature we call TOS on TBS. The TOS stands for Time Out in Seoul, the name of a magazine that has tons of ideas for getting out there and spending your free time in a fun and creative way. And one of the editors of the magazine, Hana Yoon, joins us regularly. Hana. How you Hi, doing? <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, yeah, uh, everybody's mind is usually somewhere else by this time, somewhere uh, out of the office, uh, doing something fun, enjoying the spring weather. So where are we going to take them this week? You know, um, for me personally, I can't spend all day outside because I get really cold. Like no matter how warm it is, I need to go inside because I get so cold. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I mean, I, I don't know. Maybe I just have a cold disposition, but then the air conditioning makes me cold too. Yeah. I think I need to match you up with our Korean doctor on Wednesday <laughs> and uh, have her brew you some, some herbs and berries <laughs> and things like that to uh, heat up your chi. But you know where they have perfect weather? Where? Uh, in art galleries. I'm never too cold or too hot in Perfectly climate controlled in mm. art galleries. I guess right. that's for the art's sake and we just benefit from it. Oh, yeah, yeah, I guess so. Oh, art galleries, exhibitions, museum places. Sure. I, I feel like that's the perfect weather for me. Okay. <laughs> if the world could just be one gigantic art gallery, yes, Hana Yoon would exactly. be happy. But otherwise, she's uh-huh. either shivering or sweating. Yes. All right. So we're going to some art galleries. Is that what we're doing? Um, yes, the first one that I want to talk about is the Gilles Barbier Echo System Exhibition. The Gilles Barbier. Barbier, okay. Uh-huh. That sounds cool. Who is Gilles Barbier? So Gilles Barbier is a French contemporary artist originally from the South Pacific nation of Vanuatu. Okay. okay. Oh, you're so much better at pronouncing it than I am. <laughs> I've always wanted to go to Vanuatu <laughs> and those little tiny islands oh, in the really? middle of the Pacific Ocean. You know, I have to admit that I didn't know where they were, so I had to look them up on a map before I interviewed him. Yeah, there's. I was looking uh-huh. at uh, one of those islands, Tuvalu, uh, uh-huh. which uh, was this poor, poor island... Mm-hmm. And they're, they're sinking also from global warming. Uh, but they, through the ICANN system of internet domains, mm-hmm. they got the suffix .tv, .tv, uh-huh. Tuvalu. And so they made a ton of money selling that as, uh-huh. you know, Hanayun .tv. Uh-huh. So uh, they suddenly got rich and they're using it to try and relocate from their sinking island to oh, someplace cool. else. Real um, interesting place. So uh, he's from Vanuatu. And what kind of art did he do? Uh, so he does a lot of contemporary art and... Actually, we have a pretty interesting story behind meeting him. Maybe it's only interesting to me because um, I went there with our art director, art editor, Mm -hmm. and the art editor was supposed to interview him, and I was just there as kind of support since I speak English. Mm -hmm. But we get there, and there was no interpreter. So I ended up interviewing him without having done any research, so I don't know if I should admit this publicly. (laughs) I tell you, and how did it go? Did he see through you? Um, no, I don't think so, but I only, I think because I did a very quick read about him for okay. 10 minutes, uh, and then I got to see his exhibition and talk to him, mm-hmm. and I don't know, do you ever feel, like, chemistry with people? I mean, not in the romantic sense, but uh, just, yeah. like, you click with someone. Sympatico, it's like Jong, isn't it? Yeah, and I really felt like this with Ishida Barbie, and maybe it was a one-sided thing, mm-hmm. and he didn't feel like that about me, but... but I really wanted to talk to him more, and the things he had to say were so interesting. 
And I think part of it is because uh, I was reading a little bit about his background, and he used art to really heal himself and get out of depression. Ah. Um, so I think some of that was something that I could really relate to. Um, and there's a bit of, mm, I guess you could say, perversity or wit to his artwork. And, you know, just to give you an example, I put in some photos. I gave you some photos I think you might be looking at. I'm looking at some photos now. They are... Um I would say they border on bizarre. Uh, mm-hmm. One is titled Banana Head, and this man has bananas protruding from just about everything on his head, his ears, his mouth, one eye socket, and I think a banana coming out of his uh, cranium as well. Right. Um, and then there's a sculpture from the larger work called Dice Man, which has this, this um, sculpture that you see. That's actually what he looks like. Okay. So, so it's modeled this- after him. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's a a bald European-looking guy. Right. And then in the um, sculpture from the Dice Man, he actually has what looks like um, long white pieces coming out of his mouth. Almost like those little thin uh, mushrooms that you find in the market. Right, right. It looks as if someone were screaming and you can see those screams coming out of his... A scream made visual. Maybe that's my interpretation. No, it's not a bad way to interpret it. He doesn't just have sculptures. He has drawings. He has other different kinds of art that he has done. So the other one that I gave you a photo of is the block drawings. Yes. It's a, it's a series of drawings, really. Right, it's right. A, you know, about eight or so discrete drawings put together in sort of a mosaic. Mm-hmm. Taller than a human being, right. basically. And if you look at them, they have the feeling of like if a math professor did, you know, scribblings on, you know, very, very high math. Yeah. Professor did, uh, you know, scribblings or drawings on the wall to illustrate something. Okay. It has that kind of feeling. Yeah. And that might be because he's actually very largely inspired by um, math and science. Um, and what's interesting and what I found very interesting was he's very inspired from math and science and things to me that have a lot of order. Mm-hmm. But he himself sees no order in these things. He perceives the order in a uh, an intuitive way rather right. than in an intellectual way. Right. So, you know, like I asked him, for instance, how what is the best way to look at these artworks? And he's like, there's no way to look at them. There is no order. Everything is chaos. You know, um, and it's it was interesting to do the interview, which you can read about in our magazine, because I'll ask a very straightforward question and he'll answer in this vague artism way, mm-hmm. you know, um, very parabolic, very right. uh, tangent-taking kind of answer. Right. Um, but, you know, on one level, because I, previous to entering the world of kind of journalism, um, I was very interested in art. So I, I really understand that kind of thing as well. Uh-huh. Um, and we, we interviewed him with his um, curator as well. His name is Gal Charbu. Okay. And, you know, both of them are very knowledgeable about art and the art world. So um, it was interesting to talk to them and talk here about budget issues when it comes to organizing an exhibition as well. Yeah. Because I, that's not something I had considered when I looked at art. It's like, oh, they could only bring these pieces because of money limitations. Sure. Because he was saying um, when he, because the, the exhibition is at the Museum of Contemporary Art, you know, right next to Gyeongbokgung. Right. And the museum is very high. So he was saying with a museum so high, he would have loved to bring in taller sculptures, but they just didn't have the budget for that. Yeah, there's transportation, there's insurance, there's all of these uh, logistics. And I imagine it gets quite expensive after a while. Mm-hmm. 
Um, but with the budget that they had, uh, the curator was explaining that they really did their best to try to enter the mind of uh, Gilles Barbier, right? Um, I only know how to pronounce his name because I uh, heard them say it. <laughs> <laughs> Gilles um, Barbier. Yeah. But, you know, one thing he said that really struck me, and it's not in our written interview in the magazine, is he was saying that he used to have, he used to make up these processes in order to create art. Okay. Right? So he would, um, uh, it's now like called a method, but he would write these things on a piece of paper and pick them at random. You know, like one piece of paper may say, like go from point A to point B, and then he'll make an artwork based on that text that he had written for himself. And then he said that he did this process for a long time, And then one day it struck him that he didn't need this process anymore because he was free from the processes of his mind. Fascinating. And maybe that's a vagueism as well. But the way he said it, I was so moved by what he said. Well, you said that he used art as a way to get out of depression, right? Right. And people who are suffering from depression, they need... They need um, what do they call it? Uh, sort of an object cathexis, something to focus on, mm-hmm. something to latch onto, uh, almost to distract them, but to concentrate their efforts, mm-hmm. uh, to inject some meaning into what they're doing. And so I guess that's what this did. It was like a pattern for him uh, to pick his cards out and follow exactly what it said. And then at a certain point, he was just free of it. He could right. just, you know, not be afraid in the chaos and right. deal with it directly. Well, and I asked him, like, what is it, like, your artwork seems to be so in your mind. What is in your mind? That's one of the questions I asked him. And he's like, no, no, no. I don't want to be in my mind. I want to be in your mind, in the grass's mind, in the chair's mind, in his mind. Uh-huh. Uh, I'm, I don't care about my mind. I yeah. want to be in your mind. And, you know, just... I know there are kind of vagisms, but I was well, it's almost it's, all, it's almost got a kind of a Buddhist thing to it. Loss of mm. self, you know, erasing mm. barriers of self. Um, I don't know how he would feel about that interpretation, but it was very interesting. You know, he has a lot of interesting things to say about, like, language as just a social convention. Uh-huh. Um, you know, because there, there is text in French, and I asked him, like, oh, do you think that Korean or, like, English speakers who don't speak French might be able to relate to it as much. And he was like, no, no, no. Language is not something that really exists. It's something that we all make up and it's a man-made invention. So it's very fun and um, <laughs> it's a little bit dark. Um, it's a little bit out of the ordinary, but I I would definitely recommend seeing this exhibition. It's one portion of the Museum of Contemporary Art, but I think you should definitely check it out. Okay, and what's it called again? Um, it's called Ecosystem Gilles Barbier. Ecosystem Gilles Barbier at the Museum for, what is it, Modern Contemporary Art? Right, the MMCA. All right, mm-hmm. good. Um, and it was made in order to celebrate the 130-year anniversary of French-Korean French ties. French and Korean ties. And so is uh, the next exhibition that we're going to talk about, which um, is called The Family of Invisibles. The Family of Invisibles, okay. And that one is... Inspired by philosopher Roland Barthes, also French. You know, for me, I thought it was very interesting to show artwork inspired by philosophy because I see how closely related they are. And it's 200 of the most thoughtful, 200 thought-provoking photographs from influential contemporary photographers today. All supporting philosophical notions of Roland Barthes. I would say that you can look at their artwork and find a connection to 
um, Roland Barthes, but it's not like they read Roland Barthes and they produced this um, okay. artwork. Yeah, so curated with the philosophy right, of Roland right, Barthes in right. mind. Yeah. Um, you know, and I thought a lot of what he had to say about the meaning of the image is especially relevant to us today when we talk about, you know, what kind of faces are going out in Hollywood or, um, you know, who do we choose to highlight or what are we looking at, you know? So with that happening more and more, I thought that was really interesting. And um, there are over 200 pieces at this exhibition. I went uh, just last week. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's actually kind of parodying this exhibition that happened at the MoMA in 1955 called The Family of Man, uh, which Barth actually heavily criticized because he said that it actually ignored human diversity and constructed a one-dimensional view about family life. So this exhibition is the same scope of it. So it's that one had 200 um, pieces and this one has 200 pieces uh, and the title is quite similar, but the theme of it is very different. Okay. Mm-hmm. So it's almost like a reverse homage. It's a it's a parody. It's a send-up. So these 200 pieces try to show you the diversity that that first one showed you in uniformity. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Organization Man. That was the big uh, book during the 1950s. Organization Man. And it was about conformity. And we all have our little house and our white picket uh-huh. fence. And dad has the job. And mom makes the roast beef at night and that kind of stuff. So it's a much more diverse world now. Yeah, yeah. Um... Well, there are many famous names that you'll recognize when you look at the list of um, artists who are participating. So there's Andy Warhol, Cindy Sherman. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, for me, I was very impressed by the lesser known artists. Uh, There's Mathieu Pernod. Okay. And he did a series on migrants, which is called The Outcasts in English. And that's a 2009 photography series. And you can see um, that here. So that's highlighting sort of the refugee situation right now as well. And I think it's particularly relevant for that. Hmm. Um, my favorite my favorite photo series of all times is uh, this one by Sophie Cowley called The Blind Series. Um, and one of those artworks is here as well. The blind. Now, how do you get across in visual art what, uh, what blind aesthetics are about? Well, I actually first saw this exhibition in Barcelona and I was crying by the end of it. No kidding. Um, yeah, because what she does is she photographs the face of a blind person and she asks them, what do you think is beautiful? And she writes their, fo- she writes their answer in text and then photographs that. Ah. So, for instance, there's a little boy and he says, well, I've never seen before, but I think the color green would be really beautiful because um, I ask what, you know, I ask what you know grass color is and it's green i ask what a tree is and it's green so you say i think green would be really beautiful and i thought the series was very moving there's only one of her works here which kind of lessens the effect but i say go to this exhibition and really look for the lesser known names that sounds very very fascinating uh how long does it go on Oh, so the exhibition is going on at the Seoul Museum of Art until May 29th. Okay, so you've got mm-hmm. a while to see it then. Uh, and it's free, so, you know, that's another bonus. Excellent. Mm-hmm. The next one I want to talk about is, I think, the exhibition that 
even if you're not an artsy person, you, you can enjoy. Okay. It's a Jean-Paul Gaultier exhibition, and I think a lot of people have been going, and it's kind of the talk of the town when it comes to arts right now. That's easily the most uh, widely recognizable name, I think, of the three that you've uh, put up, Jean-Paul Gaultier, the, the fashion designer, right? Right, well, which is kind of funny because I was least familiar with his work than anyone <laughs> else, um, which just goes to show how unfashionable I am. Yeah, you and me um, both. <laughs> yeah, but uh, it's the first time a retrospective of his his is being held in Asia, so it's a pretty big deal. Wow. Um, it's divided into seven sections, and each is a theme according to something that inspired him as a child. So, um, you know, a lot of looks that are popular are actually um, a result of Jean-Paul Cartier. So, like, the marine style with the stripes... Uh-huh. Right, that's something that he did. Or like clo- clothing inspired by the London punk scene of the 70s, right? And uh, what's really cool I heard about this exhibition is there are mannequins there and projected on these mannequins are uh, videos of Gautier speaking. Really? So it's almost as if um, you know he's actually there at the exhibition telling you things about his clothing. So the mannequins are wearing his clothing and then on right. top of the clothing you're seeing uh, moving and you're hearing his voice and seeing moving images of Gautier. Right. Well, that's kind of um, There are handmade clothes that took about 1,600 1, hours to complete. Wow. And it's not in glass casing so you can see the stitching very up front. Of course, you can't touch them. Yeah, but, uh, but you can go right up to it and have a, have a close look. Right. And, you know, I think it's very interesting to go there and think about how much he's, how many, like, social conventions he set up just by fashion and how closely society and fashion are related in that way, right? And uh, Seoul is the last stop on the Jean-Paul Gaultier exhibition tour, and it's uh, visited 11 cities all over the world, London, New York, Paris, and so far it's had 2.2 2.2 million viewers. That's a pretty good score for Seoul to be included on that list mm-hmm, of mm-hmm. Uh, exhibition right. places right alongside London, New York, Paris. That's got to be sort of a feather in the cap of these uh, Seoul city planners. Right, and that's happening at the DDP until June 30th. Oh, and I think the DDP is a very fitting location to hold this exhibition. Dongdaemun Design Plaza, mm-hmm. uh, the sort of science fiction looking uh, building in Dongdaemun. I'm, quite frankly, I'm surprised they didn't uh, time this to go with Seoul Fashion Week. I guess maybe DDP is full up with other things at that time. Well, it was kind of like Seoul Fashion Week ended, and then I think this exhibition started not too long after. And so, there's that whole French connection, right? Because right. they go with 130 years of ties with France. I'd, this exhibition isn't exactly tied with that, but I would say it makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Didn't Gautier design uh, some of Madonna's stuff? Yeah, so I think a lot of people know him for, uh, you know, Madonna's trademark corset with the cone-shaped bra? The cone, the pointy sort of artillery shell kind of thing. Uh He designed that? Yeah. Wow. Mm -hmm. Okay, so that's that's a visual (laughs) that everybody's going to get right away. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Okay, these are some cool, artsy, uh, high-class things to do that will not set you back a lot of money, and you have a lot of time to get to them uh, through, really, some of them through the summer, through June. Sounds good. I'm going to get to as many of them as I can. Hannah, thank you very much for coming in today. Uh, Thank you for having me.
Okay. And that'll bring TOS on TBS as well as today's edition of Koreascape to a close. The show is produced by Christina So with associate production by Jamie Lee. GP1 is our writer. I'm Kurt Asian. Remember to follow us on Facebook or Twitter at Koreascape. We'll be back tomorrow at 9 a.m. with Talking Tourism and People in Seoul. We know you got that image of Madonna and maybe some of her music in your head already. So we'll go out on a little note by Madonna, this fashion-related tune called Vogue. What are you looking at?